Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I'm so humbled and excited to be here with you all this morning to share from God's Word. And on behalf of Christ United Fellowship and our family, we uh, extend our greetings to you here at Summit. And this morning, I would like to consider a few thoughts from Psalm 98, sing a new song to the Lord. So uh, grab your Bible, uh, whether it's on your iPhone, whether it's uh, in paper copy or wherever you have it published, whatever apparatus that you have at your disposal, join me uh, for the reading of Psalm 98. And you'll find these words recorded. A psalm, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for all the promises contained therein. And we ask for your help this morning. We ask that you would remove the veil off of blind eyes, remove the block out of deaf ears, turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint me for this, your service. May my words be yours and what is not of you, let it fall to the ground. We boast, Lord, now in our weakness that your power would rest upon us. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love music. I love music. I, I, I grew up around music, and all my friends love it too. Uh, there's very few people in my circles that I know that don't like music. Um, and if you look at my playlist, you will find a litany of songs. I used to say, uh, if you look at my iPod, but my wife graciously has updated me and told me, Mike, you should use phrases like, if you look at my Apple list, if you look at my library, or if you look at my playlist, because an iPod might date me. But nonetheless, I still charge that thing up and use it when necessary. But you'll find a wide range of music on there. You'll find R&B, soul, gospel, classical, hip-hop, you'll find Merle Haggard all the way to Bach. And when I was hanging out with a friend recently, we were reminiscing on all the songs that we love from the 80s and the 90s. And it's almost as though we were right there during that time period when we started listening to the music in his house. All I could remember was the glorious days of going to the football field or hanging out with my friends in the hallways as the songs played. And then 
We talked about all the things that were taking place in our life as those songs were coming out. And it just dawned on me how exciting it was whenever one of my favorite artists dropped a new song or they dropped a new album. Can you remember those times? Can you recall what it felt like in the past when you hadn't heard from one of your favorite artists in a long time and then they dropped a song on you or they dropped a new album on you? Do you remember how exciting it was? You probably, if you were like me, got your jam on. Well, as we look at this text this morning, the psalmist encourages us to do uh, a similar thing, maybe not get our jam on, but to be excited about fresh encounters of God's grace that we experience in our life, whether it's from, whether it's coming to Christ for the first time or whether it's experiencing some tremendous spiritual victory in your life. The psalmist encourage, encourages us to respond with an attitude of celebration, with a heart of celebration. And so as we move through our text and think about this theme of sing a new song to the Lord, I'd like us to consider three divisions from our psalm. Uh, that's sing to the Savior of all the earth, verses one through three. Sing to the King of all the earth, verses four through six. And then sing to the judge of all the earth, verses seven through nine. So that's sing to the king, uh, sing to the savior, sing to the king, and then sing to the judge. If you look with me at verses one through three, you'll see sing to the king of all the earth. It tells us, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What does it mean when the psalmist says to sing a new song to the Lord? What we have here is an expression of praise, an expression of excitement, an expression of gladness and gratitude for a fresh experience or a fresh encounter with the grace of God that promotes the welfare of his people. And this is characteristic of God's people. If you remember in Exodus, the cry of Israel, God's people reached the heavens and the Lord sent, raised up a deliverer in Moses and he put his power on display before Moses and all his court. And then God delivered uh, his people from Egyptian captivity by systematically destroying all their gods and then bringing them through the Red Sea and drowning the enemy of Egypt. And on the other side of the Red Sea, we see something that's characteristic of God people, God's people. They break out in song. They break out in praise. They break out in celebration for the deliverance that they had just experienced from God Almighty. Not only do we see that there early with the Israelites, but we see it later on in Isaiah, where he tells us in uh, chapter 42, uh, post-Babylonian uh, captivity, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and all their inhabitants. So clearly we see here throughout the Bible, there's multiple themes of, of worship, but especially where it concerns God's deliverance of his people. And the psalmist talks about the God's right, uh, God's right hand. Now, this is a reference to God's actions or his deeds on behalf of his people. The, the scripture oftentimes 
illustrates God or expresses God as a defender or a deliverer or a protector of his people. And his right hand is related to that imagery. And then we see here that his faithfulness is put on display to his people in the sight of the nations. Now that's important for our text and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But God does all of these redemptive works. He puts his faithfulness on display for his people so that the nations can see something about God. So that tells us something also about our role as God's people who have experienced his deliverance. And what is the basis of God's salvation? Well, it's his character. God's character is the basis of his salvation. We see here that he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. Hesed is the word that we see there oftentimes when it's referring to God's steadfast love or his faithfulness. It's such a dynamic word that we don't have a one-to-one English equivalent. It's concerned with God's pursuit of us, his covenant fidelity or his faithfulness to us, his love for us, his care for us. And the psalmist says that he remembered. Now, some of you might be asking, did God forget? Uh, did God somehow uh, lose sight of his people? Well, we, we shouldn't think of God's remembrance of something in the same way we do as humans, as his recollection. His, re- his remembrance of something is related to his actions. So whenever God remembers, it means that he acts upon something according to his character. And so I ask you all the question this morning, what would it look like for us as the people of God who have been delivered from oppression to sin to bring a new song of deliverance to our community? What would it look like for us to bring a new song of deliverance in Jesus Christ to the people in our community who are stuck in bondage to sin? What would it look like for us to bring a new song of deliverance to people who are suffering from systemic oppression or systemic injustice in our community? One of the first ones that come to mind as we think about Israel being delivered from slavery is the human trafficking that takes place right here in our city. What would it mean for us as God's redeemed people motivated by his love, uh, by the, the new song that God has given us to take that same song into our community and bring God's deliverance and bring his message of hope and fight for those who are stuck in oppression to uh, unjust systems. Dream with me, if you will. Think for just a moment what it's meant for you to have God deliver you from bondage. Think for just a moment what it's meant for you when someone advocated for you when you were stuck in a bad situation. Now, how might that translate into action as one motivation Uh, translating the action on behalf of someone else as one motivated by God's love and his covenant faithfulness. We see here, sing to the savior of all the earth. Look with me at sing to the king of all the earth. We see that God here is depicted as a king in verses four through six. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, sing praises uh, uh, with the lyre and the sound of melody with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So what is the psalmist doing here? 
he's sort of picking up where he left off in verse three, where the nations were depicted as window shopping or peering into a glass case, but now they're invited to come and put on the outfit. You know, a lot of times when I do interviews with people or do research about uh, how uh, people's perception of church, oftentimes people tell me that the reason why they uh, never return to a church or they leave a church is because no one ever spoke to them. No one ever said hello. And so what we have here is an encouragement by God's redemptive activity, by God's love for the nations to actually have a heart of hospitality towards people when they come into our presence. Not just people who are like us, not just people who look like the person we see in the mirror every day, but people who are different than us. What the psalmist gives us here is a clear picture of God's love and redemption towards Israel so that the nations could see something about their God. So what would that mean for us to have that same mindset of hospitality to people who walk through the doors of our church? I would that no one walks ever walks in uh, and says that no one spoke to me because that's so inconsistent with the way that God deals with us. He says that all the earth will praise the Lord. And so what does that mean? This here again, it's, it's a clear picture of just how far reaching God's salvation is. Israel uh, was his chosen group, the church under age, if you will. He set his mark on them in a special way, but they had a calling to put his love on display, to extend his love to the nation so that people would understand that he is the living and true God. And this harkens back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord calls Abraham out of a pagan nation, saves him and says, I am going to bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And then he tells Abraham in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So from the very beginning, we see that God had a very, very big, broad base of people in mind. All the families of the earth, all kinds of people, doesn't matter what their nationality is, doesn't matter what their culture is, doesn't matter, matter what their gender is, doesn't matter how much money they have or how little money they have. God is after all kinds of people, and that's what he was up to from the very beginning. And we see that Israel had a great calling to make the Lord's name great among the nations. In fact, this was woven into their worship life. If you think to Psalm 87, glorious things are spoken of the O Zion, which was the Psalm that inspired the hymn by John Newton. If you go to Psalm 87 in verse four, you see that all sorts of nations are mentioned in God's registry. Nations like Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Now, why is this significant? Because Rahab is the nickname for Egypt. So what the psalmist uh, was doing was essentially giving a, psalm, a song, a worship song to Israel to rejoice at a day when their very oppressors would be considered their family members. That's how radical God's love is. He turns enemies into friends. Those who didn't know him previously are come 
come to be known by him. So this is important, and Israel rehearsed this over and over again in their worship life. Babylon, Babylon destroyed the temple, hijacked the best of Israel to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court, but yet we see the psalmist singing of a day where even those who exiled God's people will be considered those a part of God's family. And then the Philistia, if we remember King David, over and over again, all throughout Israel's history, the Philistines were enemies of God's people, but yet we see their names will be recorded in the registry and be known as those who serve the true and living God. Tyre and Cush, places located in the Ethiopian region. What is the psalmist telling us? He is telling us that, the, that, that God's love, that his salvation extends beyond the wall of ethnic Israel. What he's saying is that all kinds of people will be in the kingdom. You know, when I was growing up in Miami, we had all these shopping districts situated throughout the city. If you go downtown, uptown in the city, we had flea markets. And one of the things we would do in the downtown district is grab something to eat. Maybe we would grab some cafe con leche or we'd grab some, some sort of uh, Spanish cuisine or Caribbean cuisine and we'd walk up and down the streets. And they had all these shops where you could peer into the windows or you could look at some of the items that were situated on the sidewalk. And then as you would do that, the store owner or one of the store clerks would invite you in to come and behold the goods, behold some more of their merchandise, and then invite you to take advantage of some sale or offer that they had. And it was this fun experience as you look up and down the street and saw these different kinds of people being invited into these stores. And in the same way, the Lord invites the nations who are peering at his salvation towards Israel to come in and receive his salvation by grace. Listen, this, this point is one that we, can't, we cannot let slip by us. The fact that God has a big heart, if you will, for the nations. And the first thing I really want to do is just affirm you here at Summit for your heart and your desire to go down this road and think, think critically about uh, multicultural uh, diversity and ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity, because these things are important. So thank you. By, by the mere fact that you've invited me to come, uh, the pastor of a cross-cultural church, that means a lot to me. And that means a lot um, for the mission of Summit in the current cultural context that we find ourselves living. Uh, because according to the United States Census, by 2023, there will be more minority babies born than dominant culture babies, all right? So more minority babies born, that's brown, black, whatever, non-white than white babies. Now, is that something to be up in arms about or, or fearful of? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It just means that the Lord and his good providence is diversifying our nation, okay? And some people, some experts even say that that phenomenon has already occurred. I talk to businessmen in real estate all the time, and they give me updates from different cities and say that, their stats already show that these realities are present. But then by 2042, uh, 2046, America essentially will be 54% brown. And as my friend uh, would say, ambiguous brown. That brown could consist of all kinds of people and mixing of groups and cultures. 
And so what do we make of this? Well, Dr. Soong Cha Ra, uh, who's the author of the New Evangelicalism, urges us to take these realities serious, uh, take these realities seriously, because this is going to have an impact on our evangelism and the mission of the church. If we don't think that this is significant, then the culture will just run right by us and we will miss tremendous opportunities to reach people of different backgrounds, to reach people of different cultural contexts. And we have the mandate from the scripture. We have the Lord saying that the nations are a part of his plan of redemption. So we have to, in the American church, take these realities seriously because the change is upon us in so many ways. And we have got to pick our feet up and get caught up with this reality so that we can be effective witnesses for God's mission. So we see here, uh, sing to the savior of all the earth, sing to the king of all the earth. Now we'll take a look at sing to the judge of all the earth in verses seven through nine. The psalmist says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness, righteousness, and the peoples with equity. Now, I want you to zero in here at these verses and notice something uh, unique here. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The subjects of worship include inanimate material, inanimate objects. The reality here is that God's redemption includes the entire created order. So sin not only disturbs and disrupts relationships between people, sin impacts the very creation that God gave for our use and enjoyment. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter three, you'll see this, that Adam is gonna have a hard time working. And that means that all of us will have a hard time working. Eve will have pain and childbearing. Things are not the way that God intended them to be once sin entered the world. Something changed, and we experience that on a regular basis. We experience those harsh realities on a regular basis. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 8, for creation, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So clearly we see here that God's redemption extends in the first place to human beings, but then it extends to the entire creation. God is redeeming his entire creation. And the psalmist says that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. What does that mean? It means that he is going to set all things right. So as God's people, we are people of hope. We, we, we hope with, with great expectation. In fact, the way we define hope in Christianese is favorable and confident expectation. So we expect that God is going to do something. We're not wishing that he will do something, but we expect that God is going to set all things right. He's going to, when he returns, restore all relationships fully. So the division that exists between peoples, the animosity, the hostility will be eradicated. 
and the creation will be transformed and freed from the effects of sin when Jesus returns. Now, if we were in person, I would ask you for an amen. So if you're at home, I'm going to say to you now, can I get an amen? And so we see that even now, though, that when we live according to God's ways, it involves treating other human beings justly and being wise stewards of the creation. So we, so we as people who have been redeemed by the judge of all creation, who is going to set all things right, don't just live life and wait until he comes to set all things right. We live out of those realities right now. So the future invades the present for the people of God. So we treat others with equity. We treat others kindly. We treat others uh, fairly. We treat them with respect as image bearers. And then we live wisely and we steward the creation well and the resources that God has given to us. Imagine this. What if someone only cared about diamonds but not the dirt from which they come? How quickly would that cause us problems in trying to procure more? It is absolutely dangerous to only have regard for the end product and not the material that produces it. In fact, the Proverbs tell us, do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. We see that in Deuteronomy also. We see that the wise man is good to the beast of his field. It makes sense to be good to the things or the people that provide for your living. This is what uh, stewardship in part entails. It's not just about the finished product. It's also considering how you treat the means to that finished product. Imagine with me for a second, the businessman or businesswoman who only cares about profit at all costs. It should come as no surprise then if their building starts to run down, if their workers become irritated with them and they have a high turnover rate, or if they gain a bad reputation in the community. Because after all, the only thing that matters is the bottom line and how much money you put in your pockets. All other things are tertiary at best. But God calls us to something different as his followers. He calls us to consider people with higher regard. He calls us to treat people justly. He calls us to consider what it means to promote the flourishing and well-being of the very people that provide for our living. He calls us not only to care about ourselves, but he calls us to care about our community that plays a part in our well-being. Uh, Tim Keller, who's the author of Generous Justice, tells a beautiful story of a Christian businessman who owned a chain of car dealerships. And as is the custom in sales, uh, he teaches his people to, excuse me, he taught his people to engage in negotiation, and which is completely fine. And, and what he found after he did some research was that time and time again, those who could afford the most were paying the least. And those who could afford the least were paying the most. The Christian businessman realized that his practices were exploitative, not intentionally, but unintentionally. He realized that he was hurting single moms. 
He realized that he was hurting people on the margins. He realized that he was hurting people who were disadvantaged and not as equipped in negotiation tactics as other people who could afford to buy the very product that he was selling. So he made a decision to cap his prices. Was that, is that a mandate for all businesses? Absolutely not. But that is very much consistent with the principle in scripture to leave some for the least of these. Very much consistent with the gleaning laws in the scripture where we don't take every single uh, thing off the field. We don't take every single ounce of profit out of something. We leave something for the next person to enjoy and have an opportunity to have a share in the community. So he fixed his prices. Again, this is not me declaring that all businesses need to engage in this practice, but here's an example of a businessman that realized that his negotiation practices, that his view, that his system was disadvantaging the very members of his community and he acted justly on it to do something about it. So what would this mean for our city here in Orlando? Pre-COVID, our median wages ranked among the worst in the nation. And yet we have an incredibly high cost of living. So what would that mean, Christian businessman? What would that mean, Christian businesswoman, for you to steward all the resources that God has given you, whether it's relational capital, whether it's financial capital, whether it's your intellectual capital, whether it's your social influence, what would it mean for you to begin to have a meaningful impact on changing that statistic? What would it mean for you to evaluate in your very context, how am I contributing to this system that makes it even harder for people to flourish in my community? How might you get involved with thinking about how to change that number so that we can have an impact, positively speaking, on the median income of people in our city so that they can have a better opportunity to flourish? Again, just dream with me. Think of all the ways that you could be a blessing to your community with the resources that God has entrusted to you to have a meaningful impact right here in our city. I wonder if we would catch the vision for this, catch God's heart for living justly towards our neighbor so that on the other side of this COVID pandemic, that we would see a beautiful change happen in our city where more human flourishing would be happening in the name of Jesus and unashamedly inspired by his love and his commitment to us. And I want to say that the one who follows God right now is called to live this life. The one who follows God is called to live in such a way that not only do humans flourish, but the creation will flourish as well, being stewards of everything that we have. And beloved, let me say to you this morning that this is our song in Christ because the Bible tells us that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of marvelous light. So we too have a song, an eternal song. We've been delivered from sin. Our records have been made new. We have been saved by the grace of God and our destinies are fixed for eternity with the God who created all things except himself through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so our song is a beautiful one. And it's our song right now, every single day of our life. We see here also that Christ by his redemptive work reigns over all the nations. In fact, Jesus, when he rose from the grave said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And I am with you always, even till the end of the age. The Bible tells us that Christ will come again to establish his consummate kingdom of righteousness right here on earth. And no longer will anything be accursed. Relationships will be restored. The effects of sin will be fully gone. There won't be a flawed system in the new creation. And John tells us in Revelation that we will sing a new song. We will sing a new song for all eternity. When I was in the airport at, in Atlanta, I was getting ready to board the plane and I heard what passenger Branford Marsalis, please come to gate number 30. And I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I looked to one of the, uh, one of the patrons that were about to get on the plane. I said, do you know who that is? We were at gate 15. She was like, no, I said, he's, he's a famous He's a famous jazz musician. We're at gate 15, he's at 30. Man, we're, we're not too far away. And I was just thinking, man, oh. I was like, I love jazz. I was thinking, so close, but so far away. And you know, we know that God is near, uh, but sometimes life makes him seem so far away. But friends, can I tell you this morning, when Jesus returns, the gap will be closed. The gap will be eradicated. And we will sing the song of praise in the consummate presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we ask for your help. We ask that you would move in our hearts to live justly, to bring your love to the communities in which we find ourselves, that we might make your name great in all the world, and that by your redeeming grace, you would bring more people into the fold and grant them a new song for all eternity. Seal this word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.